Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at NREIOnline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Hello, David. How are you today? I am doing all right. You know, we are early November. Lots of stuff's happening, but, um, you know, hanging in there. How about you? Yeah, lots of stuff happening at the same time. Lots of stuff not happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's kind of how the beginning of November starting. Um, but I'm pretty excited about the beginning of this podcast. I am surrounded by Davids. And uh, we're all <laughs> social distancing, of course. But um, you have brought David Duncan on the show today. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to your intro. Yeah, so... Uh, we have David Duncan, who is the president and CEO of First Hospitality. Hi, David. Hi, David. How are you? Uh, likewise. I am well, given the conditions. Fantastic. <laughs> That's good to hear. Before we kind of jump into some of the topical dis- discussion, I was wondering, if, you know, for any of our audience who isn't familiar with your company, if you could just, you know, give us a quick bio and and, and tell us uh, about the special, you know, the specialties that, that first hospitality has in, in the, in the hospitality sector. Yeah. Well, let me start by thanking you for uh, having me on this. It's an honor and I really appreciate it. My name is David Duncan. I'm the CEO of first hospitality. We're headquartered in Chicago. My background was the first decade was a CPA firm, classically trained consulting business. And then, you know, the next 20 years, focused entirely on real estate, and I feel very lucky and fortunate in the early aughts, just after the turn of the century, if you will, I really fell in love with the hotel business, and prior to that, I've always invested across all asset classes, and uh, like I said, beginning in the early aughts, found just this fascinating thing called the hotel business, which for me is a great combination of real estate and the long cycle strategic decisions you make around real estate analytically, and then the branding softer side of this, the operating business called hotel, restaurant and bar and branding. And for me, it's just a wonderful combination of being able to buy uh, or build buildings in certain spots and then bring brands to life and really make an incredible difference in that four corners and in that building. And so my post the sort of classic consulting training, spent a fair amount of time on the institutional side Mm-hmm. Uh, investing in debt and equity again in the real estate, uh, al- always in real estate. Today, it's we're seven, eight months through COVID in what is clearly one of the more crushing downturns in the hotel business. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this. First Hospitality is, again, a Chicago-based firm, privately held, founded in the, in the mid-80s, and a really strong track record of as an investor, 20 leverage 20 IRRs to our investors lifetime mm-hmm. on all of our deals and also we have a hotel operating company which really is our secret sauce we're very thoughtful about investing in real estate focused on basis and yield and the classic things that you would invest would you think about when you're investing in the real estate side and then we unleash what we consider our secret sauce using investment parlance sort of the beta bringing really good things to life with the operating company where we can control the operations, drive premium top lines to the hotel business, premium margins, and really get an above average return in the hotel space because of our operating company. Uh, 50 hotels total. We have an ownership interest in about half of those privately owned, 
different capital structures depending on the deal. Consider ourselves very entrepreneurial and looking forward to the next 35 years of building this business and uh, uh, riding it through this uh, very interesting time period. Great. Thank you for giving us that overview. That basically, you know, the perspective that you bring basically because of everything you laid out is exactly why I was interested in talking to you at this time, you know, because as you said, we are now, I think, you know, yeah, basically eight months into this, you know, to this pandemic and, and, and hospitality has, uh, you know, no secret that it's been the part of the commercial real estate world along with retail that's been hit, you know, just so hard because of the drops in you know, no convention, you know, our, our company, you know, does a lot of convention. So no firsthand, you know, what the, what's happening, what's happening with that business, cut cutbacks in business travel, and then, you know, leisure, and then what's happening with leisure travel. So, you know, just given, and then, you know, and then now also now being in this period where we don't, you know, it's still hard to figure out what the runway out of all this is. So given, given that, what, where do you think, you know, where do we sit with the, with the, you know, your portfolio or just the hospitality sector in general? And what do you see kind of, what are your thoughts about like what the next six or 12 kind of months look like? That is really a good question. We sit here today, we don't know who the next president is going to be. And uh, it's very unclear what the recovery looks like. And uh, we'll look at the pundits to, to answer some of those questions. To put this into perspective, as you probably know, the hotel business is in its most significant downturn in probably in its history. In 2020, on a national basis, the revenue Keep in mind, this is a leveraged operating platform with fixed costs and revenue on top of it. The revenue uh, in the U.S. has been down or will be down around 53%. You take mm. 53% out of most businesses, that's yeah. a real, doesn't take an accountant to figure out what that does to the bottom line. On a prospective basis, and I'm referring to STR, Smith Travel mm -hmm. Research, and CBRE, uh, 2021 is forecasted to be down about 33%. And then, respectively, in the next couple of years, 17% uh, and 4%. Those are national numbers and clearly very different in certain locations. Our portfolio is doing better than that in some places and worse than that in some places. And what I mean by that is the more leisure-oriented destinations have actually mm -hmm. done quite well. And some hotels through the summer because of the propensity of people to get out of uh, you know, their home, have done exceedingly well with 100% occupancy days and you know, weeks through the summer months. The inverse of that is really the urban core hotels where you've seen effectively the elimination, if you will, of the business traveler. And uh, needless to say, also the elimination of the convention business. And so the city hotels are having a little rougher go at it right now. And the, uh, the more suburban destination-oriented leisure are, are doing a little bit better than that. Hmm. I think one, one thing I remember hearing over the summer was that hotels that were in leisure markets that were particularly accessible for like dry, you know, like driving vacations were doing particularly well since that, that kind of fit with the way that we're living. Like it's easier, maybe people are more willing to get into a car and drive to a a weekend or a week away somewhere then you know especially since it's like you know traveling overseas is not really an option but that, but like so people finding ways to when they are taking vacations to 
to go to those kind of destinations. So therefore the, the hotels that are serving those markets would, were the ones that were kind of do, doing, doing better. Is that, is that, is, is that sort of holding true through um, what we're going to see in like through the winter months? Yeah, I, I believe so. And so I think the, the this past is, as you mentioned, a reflection of uh, many listeners' life, which is, I really would like to get away. I may be hesitant to get on an airplane. And so therefore, what can I do for myself, for my family, and really get away? And for most people in the U.S., that has, you know, they've concluded, stay in the car, stay safe, control my environment. And therefore, the drive to markets are, you know, been absolutely the winner on a relative basis during the past uh, seven or eight months. The further flung, if you will, destination uh, hotels have really been hit hard with, in some instances, airlift being eliminated for all practical purposes. And so that's sort of what's happened to date. The, the good news is going into the third and fourth quarter in our business, we've seen some upticks in business travel, albeit minor, but what I've, I've actually uh, observed in our numbers and then in, in, in talking with investors and uh, friends is the propensity of individuals, especially business folks, to travel has been exceedingly low, hesitant due to, I'll call it fear, hesitation, whatever you want to attribute that to. But as people have actually ventured out and understood that you if you're careful and do this very responsibly, you can actually travel on, a, on a, an adjusted schedule basis. And the folks that have sort of hit the road, I've, we've observed are much more comfortable and understand it's actually not nearly as scary out there in the world beyond your front door as some people had imagined. And mm-hmm. the hotel space, the protections that have been put in place to protect our, our guests and our associates are actually exceedingly high level uh, of standards. We were one of the first companies to roll out uh, a, a, what we called uh, Hospitality First, which was a, a program to just make sure we were keeping social distances, masks in place, uh, sanitation procedures, you know, uh, at you know, very high levels of standards, uh, keyless entry wherever possible, touchless things wherever possible. And uh, we've really benefited from that is once folks have begun to come out, we see that there's an uptick. I don't want to exaggerate that. That has been a trickle of an uptick. In some instances, we're still, you know, 40, 50 percent off of last year, but sort of heading in the right direction. And so what does that look like going forward through the winter and uh, in, in the next couple of years? In our business, again, back to my sort of fascination with it, which is we think about these businesses in two ways, two and three and five year trends from an owner of real estate perspective, and then on a sh- very short term operating business, what can we do tonight, tomorrow, this weekend to attract food and beverage enthusiasts and, and transient travelers? Uh, we anticipate the a, a very slow recovery into 21 and you know, ditto through 22. And we believe it's really entirely contingent on vaccinations and other protective me- measures that, you know, science will deliver, we believe. And so the, what's really interesting, if you read and follow any of the public REITs in mm-hmm. our own portfolio, the visibility, the amount of business that you know you have on the books 
in most, you know, most of our hotels, I can tell you six months out, this is sort of what it looks like. As a result of COVID and the uh, hesitation to travel, the booking window in the hotel business right now can be as short as a week or wow. a day. And we've actually experienced, you know, weekend pickups in the day for the day, you drive all of a sudden double the occupancy <laughs> as it's sunny and people are tired of being home and they want to get out or, you know, they, they think they can hold that meeting and, and people rally, albeit at the last minute. And so it's been interesting on the operating side of the business to shift the model. How do you make sure on a staffing basis that you're flexible and agile to accommodate sometimes very low levels of occupancy and demand, but being ready and having a team that's flexible to accommodate surprisingly high levels, albeit on a last minute basis. Um, and so the choppiness of it is, is, is interesting. But back to the main theme, we believe you know, 21 will be sort of a tough market with respect to operations. But with all things, and we especially believe this as an investor, with all challenges come great opportunities. And that's what we're really focused on as a real estate investor and deploying equity. And we believe there will be incredible buying opportunities. Not sure exactly when that spigot goes on, mm -hmm. right? And so we're optimistic, prepared to take advantage of being able to acquire, build, and do things at, we believe, potentially investment basises, bases lower than for sure, historical or, or actual cost, recent historic costs, but perhaps much lower investment basis on a go forward basis than, than has been available over the past few years. And so on the, on the operating side, on the investment side, I should say, we're really leaning into what we think will be incredible buying opportunities and happy that we have this operating company as sort of our captive to make sure we understand the difference between what's good and what's just cheap. Mm -hmm. And in the hotel business, there are a lot of things that we believe will be cheap, but that doesn't necessarily translate to good investments. And, uh, and, and we'll rely on our operating uh, experience to, to try to differentiate there. Another um, trend that I've heard about uh, recently is the concept of some people wanting to use a hotel room basically as an office, essentially, like to get out of maybe, you know, they're working from home, they're corporate office isn't open or maybe they just don't want to travel there but there's a nearby hotel and they could just get a you know essentially a desk and maybe even a bed for the night if they really want to focus are you seeing that kind of usage at your properties we we are we we, we call it you know wfh not work from home but work from hotel yeah right and so uh we are seeing that it's it's a it's an opportunity sort of as a percentage of the business relatively small mm -hmm. but what you know in this sort of uh, revenue cycle where the former, you know, flows, high level flows of revenue have, have in some places, you know, come down to a trickle. Every little bit helps, right? Every little trickle helps. And so we're seeing the opportunities in the, sh on the short term is to emphasize the transient customer in all forms, work from the hotel, set you up in that way, leisure, weekend traveler, get away from your home with your kids or or, or friends. And then what's also a big focus on a very, very short-term basis is making sure we're, we're looking into leaning into creative uses, alternative uses on a short-term basis for hotels. We have hotels adjacent to universities, 
opportunities there. And in some places, urban core, which were in, in certain instances, we didn't do much of this, but respite places for folks that were at risk of COVID. Mm -hmm. And then also first responders. And we actually saw an incredible demand from first responders that that we offered and we effectively operate the majority of our hotels under the major brands, right. Hilton, Marriott, Hyatt, et cetera, and uh, really appreciated their thoughtfulness rolling out these first responder rates. And so if you are a first responder working in a hospital or a fire department or, or, or whatever, that you have an incredibly good rate, should I say, uh, effective rate that you actually can you know, stay in the hotel overnight and, and get the rest that you need to go back to that job. And, and it's one of the things that I really have appreciated during this time is the culture of our team. And while one could say, geez, these are probably the worst times in the hotel business, financially, one could argue that's true. On the other side of that, the opportunity to use our hotels for good mm -hmm. has been amazing and an opportunity that really buoys our team spirit, right? If you can, you know, rent a room at a low rate to a first responder and know you're really helping in the community and protect people and really foster the recovery of people's lives, that's a really meaningful extension of our hotels and the hotel business that we've really appreciated. Clearly it's provided some revenue during this time period, which is especially appreciated, probably more important. It's one of those really neat things about the hotel business that the, the folks that work in these hotels are reminded every day what a beautiful opportunity it is to connect with people. And I think that's a, you know, been a wonderful opportunity to use hotels for good. Yeah. I think yeah, that's been a great story amid, you know, this tough time to like see how hotel, the hotel space, you know, I have been able to do that. I remember, you know, at the just, I'm in Brooklyn. So like the depths of those dark days of the spring when things were so bad here, but then, you know, hotels across the city that stepped up to offer those kind of spaces, you know, both for, you know, in cases of people that were COVID, uh, COVID positive, but weren't necessarily symptomatic or whatever, you know, just a place where they could stay safely or for first responders who were coming from out of town to help us at that time, since there was such the demand, or even just for people that lived in the city, but were afraid of, you know, maybe going home every night and just having a, you know, peace of mind about not potentially exposing their family and just being able to go to the hotels near, near their hospitals, all of that. I think it was, it felt very, like it was a, a good thing that that was happening amid amid you know these those dark days yeah no amid the chaos the shelter in the storm we sort of think yeah. of it as right yeah you know one other question on on the property level is just amid this whole period is there a difference in, in terms of like the emphasis or or just the types of amenities that 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 you're looking at at properties like stuff that's maybe more important or less important now um you know just given you know given, given this whole thing yeah, and so uh, in, you know, so inside of the the four walls, if you will, of the hotel, the you know, some some things you you previously thought of as a you know a wonderful amenity may be perceived differently, and 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 other opportunities which are underutilized is now an amazing opportunity. I'll give you a couple of examples: indoor pools, mm -hmm. and transient oriented, leisure oriented places. It's a as a child going, you know, traveling across the country and literally in the back 
seat of the proverbial family station wagon. I, I remember I, we couldn't wait to get to the Holiday Inn on the side <laughs> of the highway so we could go swim in the pool, right? Yeah. And uh, that was a long time ago. And by the way, it was Holiday Inns on the side of the highway. Today, that still exists for kids, right? When my kids were young, we would go wall out of our way to, to get a, you know, just a, a hotel room with a pool was a beautiful amenity to keep the kids occupied, excited, energized, exhaust them. And uh, that still is true. However, in the this era of COVID, people aren't necessarily so excited about going in a warm, somewhat humid room, right? <laughs> so, you know, all of a sudden something that was really a neat amenity is like, oh, geez, not going there now until that gets fixed. On the other side, in those same hotels, we have uh, interesting restaurants and bars and opportunity to expand onto the street, opportunity to expand dining outside and converting, you know, that little strip of outdoor tables, which may have been appropriate or maybe a risk because of zoning conditions as to how much outdoor space there, there is. Um, some of those spaces with the city and municipalities being very supportive of expanding outdoor dining also became wonderful opportunities. And as we go into the winter months, one of the things we're doing in some of our hotels, as an example, we have a Renaissance hotel in Toledo or a Hilton Garden Inn in, in Louisville with rooftop bars, which are you know terrific amenities three seasons out of the year. We're putting these igloos in, you may have seen some of these, yeah. as just wonderful places, respites, if you will, for small groups to be able to still stay outside, get some fresh air, but feel like they're, uh, you know, they're, they're living in a special space for a little bit of time. And so you sort of utilizing, I think the, the, the lesson is utilize the whole envelope, be agile on the spaces and, uh, you know, be, be thoughtful about what's really important to the customer, which is A, safety and B, to the extent you can provide them the ability to get outside and, and still spend time with their family, exceedingly positive. So switching gears, you know, so we're talking about all, you know, this is what you've been operating through and, you know, some of the bright spots, some of the challenges. How, what's the experience been like to communicate with your investors, you know, like, like helping, you know, just given the uncertainty and maybe questions or, or, or concerns that they've had, what, what has that process been like, you know, just talking, like how often, what forms of, of, of communication have you had? do you have with, with uh, your stakeholders on, on, on a regular basis, like through this time? Yeah, good. That's a, a, a good question because it's such a challenge during this environment. And so on the investors, sort of fundamentally my ongoing sentiment, I, I feel like during this time is I've never worked harder. I'm not doing nearly enough. <laughs> I, I feel like we're not spending enough time with the right groups. Yeah, that's all we're doing is spending time with these groups. And so it's this really interesting paradox of how do you manage that expectation, communication, and just the fundamental, you know, how do you stay connected? One of the things that we really enjoy about this business is we have investors that are friends or that have become friends because they're investors. And, you know, there's this interesting connection with them. Fundamentally, when you break it down to its, you know, the commercial parts, they're expecting a distribution. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons we've been so successful is we build hotels to make owner distributions on a monthly or quarterly basis. And, you know, they've been opening that check for, you know, months and sometimes years and decades in our instance. 
with COVID all of a sudden that sort of went to, that spigot got shut off as we were, you know, uh, augmenting liquidity, focusing on liquidity to, to manage through the downturn. But con the conversations that we had with our investors were, they clearly understand at the headline news level what's going on, tried to communicate to them what we're doing on the ground on a micro level basis to reduce operating costs and to drive unique revenue opportunities, et cetera. And uh, all true, and I do think that our team is doing, a, a, we're gaining share, we're gaining market share, mm -hmm. share, which in isolation is a really wonderful thing. However, if you're not making distributions, or more importantly and more likely, you may be asking them for more capital right. to provide capital to ride it out through these, what we call forbearance periods, right? Mm -hmm. And so you know, sort of this conversation goes from, I'm sending you money to, hey, maybe you send me money. <laughs> and and uh, you know, it's some of the worst times ever. And how do you maintain their confidence? And you do that by telling them everything you know as proactively and you know, as clearly as you can. And one of the observations that we have is that old adage, bad news is like fish and doesn't age well. We're trying to be really explicit and transparent with what's going on and providing in our, again, we're a private company, but with this investor constituency right. of providing them forecasts, you know, two years out and, and more importantly, explaining what the assumptions are and why that's the case and some of the variability and volatility, which is going back to the most recent steps are supporting the hotels with additional owner infusions to, to provide forbearance where needed. And on the similar, but, uh, you know, sort of one swim lane over is similar conversations with lenders. Mm -hmm. And I've spent a lot of time in my younger, the younger days um, as a consultant doing workouts and bankruptcies of most major developers across the country in the early 90s and uh, observed that and participated either as a lender through early into the, this, uh, you know, the early aughts as I call them. And what we believe to be true and the way we deal with our our lenders are same same principle be exceedingly transparent do what you can tell them what you can't do raise if you can raise capital terrific if you can't explain the circumstances and most importantly be the best athlete for that asset and what i mean by that is and, and when I was on, spent a lot of time at GE Capital, when you're on the other side and you say, okay, it's a problem, is the team running that the best one to protect my collateral? And if the answer is no, the workout scenario is completely different, mm -hmm. right? It's just like, you know, you want to get them out and you want to replace them and you want to move on. If the answer is yes, the tenor of the conversation really is different, which is okay. Maybe now it's more of a collaboration yes, I want to protect my collateral, but you are absolutely, uh, we believe we are the better, as I call it, corporate athlete to run the property. And uh, that's actually helped us quite a bit, I think, during this downturn. Lenders still want to get paid back, but they're more, you know, a little more understanding, I would say. Right. Yeah, in this environment. And it, it, and I, it sounds like from what you said earlier that you're also are looking out there for Whenever the spigot does open, some of these opportunities to strike on on assets that could be real growth opportunities going forward. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a it's a very unique time in the hotel business in that most capital structures, for probably the first time in my life, followed a 
a very similar rhythm. And what I mean by that is early COVID, most every owner of real estate applied for PPP loans. Right. And similarly turned to their lender, be it a bank or a non-bank lender and said, you know, give me a little help, give me a little daylight forbearance. And most, you know, the, the, the answer generally was the PPP loans were a mathematical equation, which actually then put everybody on the same track. Mm-hmm. You raised about a m- enough money to get you through three or four months, right? And then the, the lender forbearance, similarly, it was been an OT of a regulated bank, you know, maybe up to 180 days. But all of a sudden, everybody, it was like everybody started this new race is the wrong term, but effort at the same time. PPP loans burned off in a certain time, mm-hmm. 180 days expired. And so what's been interesting during this time is because of this combination of what I'll call fiscal stimulus in a very general way, has really buffeted the economic realities of the hotel business over the last you know, six or eight months. Our perception is that PPP loans have been spent. Lenders are sort of, you know, they gave you 180 days. And we believe sort of going forward, those likely will cascade into a much higher level of, I'll call it, you know, unplanned sales or forced sales of assets. And that's really what, uh, we're not looking forward to the misery of that. Right. We're looking forward to take advantage and help people where we can. And I think what we've observed in past downturns, if you study the hotel business and the revenue recovery curve, it's very interesting in that this is intuitive once you think about it, but it's counterintuitive when you first hear it. The recovery of value through these downturns actually happens more quickly than the recovery of revenue. And so if it takes, making up the, the example, if it takes five years to get back to peak revenue, it's often the asset valuation recovers sooner than that. And that's, that's surprising when you look at the data, but it's actually not surprising when you really think about it. The stock market trades in the same way, right? The stock market trades and most investments trade on a, on a basis of forward right, earnings. Right, right, right. And so it's, it's really interesting in talking with investors today, which is, gee, it's probably going to be until 2023 for the pundits until we get back to normal. I think that's, you know, that's what the pundits say. And I would, uh, if, if that is in fact the case, now is the time to be prepared to buy assets because by 22, making up these numbers, sort of the generalizations, the asset, the ability to buy assets at a discount may be behind you. Mm. Yeah. Well, it also seems like even amid all this, there's, there's a lot of capital, you know, like, I mean, I think almost instantly once this all started, you know, people, the, the people start talking about distress within weeks. And then I, you know, I've seen so many, you know, get press releases about debt funds, mezzanine funds, equity funds, all, you know, with an eye on that. So it doesn't seem like there's, there is an array of capital that's, I mean, cause you know, that's always just seemed to me like the way the real estate cycle works and it's clear, it's obviously a painful process for the, for the person, for the entity that's got the distressed asset, but that's how the new cycles always begin is somebody being able to take up, take a property that, you know, doesn't work, you know, doesn't work out because of what the price was when they bought it, but you know, someone else can come in, buy it at a lower, you know, if they have a good cost of capital, if they've got a good operating team, 
that's how we start to, that's how we start the growth cycles again. Yeah, no, chaos provides that opportunity. And I, but you're right, the, the amount of capital that has been raised to take advantage of or to provide liquidity to this business is mind numbing. Mm. And I think what'll be fascinating will be how that capital behaves. Yeah. And you know, how quickly does it buoy assets beyond that bargain price? Right now, there's so few trades to identify what market value is during this environment. Most folks that have looked at that and are the proverbial cover bid think the guy who bought it overpaid. And but there are very limited numbers of transactions there. But I think it's getting to be you know relatively soon that the volume of that will begin to occur. And uh, back to the thesis that recover the value, the asset values will recover more quickly than the revenue curve. You'd be uh, well advised to be thoughtful about, you know, getting your team together, investing, you know, getting your capital together, and and starting to look at uh, opportunities. Because if you're slow, you'll 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 miss it, right? right? You bought assets in 2016; it may have worked out for you. Probably worked out fundamentally a lot better if you bought it in 2014. Right. So we've been talking for a while. Do one more question before we we kind of wrap this up, which is I understand that First Hospitality recently formed a a diversity and inclusion advisory council. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that in terms of, you know, the importance for First Hospitality, but also even maybe in the industry in general. I mean, this is, is, that's the, you know, we've been talking about COVID and, and, and real estate, but this year we've also had a very large conversation about diversity and inclusion and that's kind of cross industries. And I've talked to several guests about, about that. So, you know, would be curious to hear since that's something that your company is now uh, looking at too. Yeah, no. And I, I would characterize our culture as, as always welcoming diversity and inclusion. And so we've, but we formed this council to, you know, make sure we're focusing in the right areas and backing up a little bit. I think, the challenge in life today is bringing people together. I want to over, you know, philosophize, if you will, about the, you know, the divide, if you will, in, in, in the country. But in the hotel business, one of the, one of the gifts, if you will, or wonderful opportunities are a large majority of our hotel staff are at some level indexed to win to minimum wage. They're above minimum wage. Don't get me wrong, but you know, sort of a large population, our housekeepers, uh, et cetera, are in, you know, sort of in that wage earning environment. And what's, what I think is fascinating, and one of the things I've just loved about the business is seeing people grow into their roles and what it does for them personally as they establish their family, move to a different neighborhood, you know, sort of move to a different economic uh, opportunity place. It's really compelling. You look at, you see a few of those examples and it's just a natural answer of yes, when you can lean into that. And so uh, what's, what is motivating our diversity and inclusion efforts or more importantly, what is, what we're really working on is really the, what I call the I part, the inclusive part. And it's mm-hmm. easy to bring together a diverse a crew, right? But if they don't really thrive, if they can't show up as their authentic self at work, and if they can't be an advocate for you as an employer to their friends, I don't think you're there yet. And that's really what our team is focused on. 
people generally have good hearts in our world and our impression. Sometimes the way they communicate, they may not be conscious of it, the old unconscious bias thing. And you know, they may just not be comfortable to ask that, uh, you know, that question or have that conversation. And we're trying to make sure that people know that these conversations and this is the way we want to treat people, you know, treat people the way you'd like to be treated. I think people fundamentally believe that. Helping them to understand how to do that and to manage through those difficult, you know, conversations and periods is really what we're focused on internally with the overarching objective of being an employer of choice, welcoming a larger crew crowd of, uh, you know, beyond what we've historically been able to do. And the team is so excited to be able to provide people unique opportunities because as I've said to our team, if we can do this right and even better than we have in the past, not only do you make it a better place to work, but you really have a unique opportunity to make someone's life better. And that can cascade on a generational basis. And amidst the crisis of COVID and the civil unrest and you know all the terrible things that we've seen recently, the examples of people opening their arms and helping other folks and leaning into you know dni and being you know allowed to be their more authentic self at work to me is is just a generational opportunity for us and so that was really the reason we put together the dni council and that's really some of the focus hmm. well um i want to thank you so much for um being so frank and and giving us a lot to think about and a lot, and a lot for, for, for folks to process, but um, I very much enjoyed uh, getting to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for, again, for the opportunity. And uh, it's really nice to be able to zoom back and, and have these sorts of conversations. So I really enjoyed it. I, I appreciate it. And thank you very much. How can people get more information? Uh, my name is David Duncan at First Hospitality in Chicago. Email address is ddncan at firsthospitality, all one word. Dot com with the prevalence of Google. I'm sure you can find me there. Um, and uh, again, really appreciate the opportunity today today. and uh, thanks for the thanks for the time. Gentlemen, this was a fantastic podcast. David Bodemer, thank you so much for bringing David Duncan on. I just sat back and I learned a ton, you know, because I don't think you've had someone like this on the podcast before. So I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for bringing him on. Sure, yeah, no, it was a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it even easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.